If you have a Bible with you, please open it up to 1 Corinthians 14. We are getting towards the back end of uh, of 1 Corinthians in our series. Um, We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. Now, um, when you're a parent, especially of multiple girls, uh, you're going to have to referee some fights over who gets to be Elsa uh, when, when it's time to duet between Anna and Elsa. And these fights can get intense, but here's the thing. To be a good parent, you don't referee who gets to be Elsa. You actually need to address what's going on. Why are you fighting over this? Right? They're, they're, in the same thing in 1 Corinthians 14, it appears that Paul is trying to referee this fight over tongues, but he's far less concerned over sorting out the gift of tongues than he is about how they're treating each other and how they're functioning as a church. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 14, starting at verses 1 through 5. He says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Please pray with me. God, I pray that we would be built up by your word right now, that you would reshape our understanding of who we are and what your people is. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was a a brand new Christian, I had been a Christian for maybe a year, I was 16 years old, um, I loved Monday nights. Because on, on Monday nights, my friend Jason, who played drums in the band I was in, would come pick me up, and he had his mom's van. It was one of those old tan jobs with the... Like it was like a little kitchen inside. You know what I'm talking about? Like little frilly curtains. Remember these things? It was covered in golden retriever hair. And we would just pack all our friends into it. We'd listen to metal. And we'd go 40 minutes north to Costa Mesa. Because on Monday night at Costa Mesa Calvary Chapel, we would go and hear a guy named Greg Laurie uh, do like this evangelistic thing he did every week. Huge place. I was a brand new Christian. I didn't know this stuff existed. A huge place, and Greg Laurie was like this compelling, hilarious speaker, right? And we would go, and, and like the, the music was really good, and the preaching was really good, and, and, and we would just leave excited about Jesus. Now, one day, this all came to a tragic end because the leader of the worship team, my, both Jason and myself, served on the worship team, informed us that we have to be at rehearsal on Monday night. Now her name was Jen, and we're like, but Jen, you don't understand. This is building us up. This is great for us. She says, yes, yes, but we also need you at your actual church where you serve, right? Because the whole church needs you. We're like, but you don't understand. Greg Laurie's hilarious. Now, in retrospect, he was doing like an evangelistic sermon every single week. It was not something that like builds you up in the faith long term. And he would, he would tell you that. But our understanding was that what was most important is what built us up personally 
not our service to our church and building up our church. See, one of the first things that I, that I was taught as a Christian was that the Christian faith is a one-on-one relationship with God. It's a one-on-one relationship with God. So kind of whatever deepens, whatever strengthens that one-on-one relationship is what's important. And everything else kind of gets in the way. And so if serving builds you up personally, then serve. Or if a church builds you up personally, then go there. But, you know, you really could. And I knew many people like this. You could be attached to no church at all. You just kind of put together books and recordings and podcasts and personal devotional time. And this fly, again, just loves me, loves my face. Um, you know, you put together your devotional time. And, and, and if a church service is helpful, you kind of dip into it. If it's going to build that one-on-one relationship. And here I was, my one-on-one relationship being jeopardized by my involvement in the serving on the worship team at church. What does one do when that one-on-one relationship, that building up of yourself personally, is at odds with serving the church? It's a little bit of a trick question. You know why? (laughs) That's the way the fly says amen. Here's why it's a little bit of a trick question. It's because the idea of a one-on-one relationship with God is nowhere in the Bible. Some of you are like, yeah, I know that already. Others of you, you are like, I'm melting. What? What do you mean a one-on-one relationship with God is not in the Bible? Well, really, what's in the New Testament, what's in the Old Testament, is a family relationship with God. Right? When, when we look at the language that's used, God is Father. We are brothers and sisters. We are the children of God. That's used all over the place. Think of earlier in 1 Corinthians. We are the body of Christ, not you are a body of Christ. Right? It again and again talks about how we relate to God as a family, as all together. Not only that. This is something that doesn't come across in English because we have the weird thing where you is both singular and plural. Greek is not the same. 99% of the yous in the New Testament are plural yous. Almost never does the New Testament address an individual. It addresses bodies of believers. Not to mention... That God is not one. God exists in community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? And there is a complete lack of any texts anywhere that point us to a one-on-one relationship with God. Even in this passage right here, when we look at verse 4, it talks about how much greater uh, uh, prophecy is over tongues. Why? Look with me at verse 4. He says, because the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. What's the priority? The priority is the building up of the body. We have a family relationship with God. Does that mean we don't spend personal time with Jesus? Of course we do. You could spend one-on-one time with with different members of your family, Sharon and I go on a date, but that is partly to strengthen our whole family. 
right? A family is not a series of one-on-one relationships with, God, with, 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 with parents or kids. It is an altogether relationship, and so is our relationship with the Lord. The stronger your family is, the stronger your relationship with God is. The deeper your family's relationship with God is, the deeper your relationship with God is. You with me? So what are we to do? What if I told you that six times in this chapter, Paul gives a command to build up the church? What do you think he wants us to do? It's to build up the church. If we have a family relationship with God, we need to build up the family, yes? How do we do that? Well, Paul shows us three ways here. First of all, with love, with our contribution, and with clarity. We build up the family with love, with our contribution, and with clarity. So first of all, build up the family with love. Do you guys know what comes before chapter 14? Chapter 13. And in chapter 13, which we covered a couple of weeks ago, Paul gave us a great, beautiful vision of love. It's that famous love chapter. Love is patient, kind, and and so on and so forth. And so this is coming right out of that. He says, pursue love. Now, you notice the difference in language. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire. To earnestly desire something is different than pursue, isn't it? Which is the stronger language? Pursue means go after it. It means want this, but get after this. Whatever we are doing, our priority one is love. Okay. Second, what it means to to love in this situation is to put we over me. To put we over me. Look at verses two through four. He says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So again and again and again, what does it mean to pursue love? It means prioritizing the family over you as an individual. Now, before we go any further, there is a lot of questions around tongues, right? And, and even though that's not the main point, if we don't address it, I think we may squirm in our seats saying, but what about tongues? And not hear the rest of it. Unfortunately, even though over the years I have put some study into this and really tried to make a systematic study of it this week, I am no closer to any answers at all. I'm a huge disappointment. I'm sorry about that. What are tongues? I don't, I don't know what's going on, to be honest with you. Like there are people who have really high levels of confidence that tongues are real or tongues are not. I don't know how you got there. Um, are they the same tongues as at Pentecost? I'm not sure. Maybe. Are, they the, same t- are the, the tongues that are going on here the same tongues as today? I, there's some people I really love and respect and admire and trust who say so. Others, the, the scholars are all over the place on this, and the, the, the Bible is pretty inconclusive, right? Are they like a, a language? 
like a like an angel language or a, 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 a like a non-cognitive utterance, like laughing or crying or something like that. You got me. I'm so sorry. I, I really wanted more clarity for you than that, but I don't have it. But the point is, tongues are not the main point. The point is, is that Paul, whatever you're doing, whether it's with tongues or with prophecy, spiritual gifts or whatever, it's that we build up the family. Whatever we're doing, we're building up the family with love. Why? Because we have a family relationship with God. So we need to build up the family with love, with prioritizing us over me. That goes for if you're participating in any ministry activity. When our governors get together and they're, they're praying for the church, they're not going to be sitting there, sitting there placing their own interests over the interest of the church. They're going to build up the church in love. In the way we pursue relationships, a lot of the time the way we do relationships is what can they give me? Is it fun to hang with them? If not, I'm out. Right? Not the question of how can I build them up in love. How many of us have the thought in our head when we're online on social media saying, how can I build these folks up in love? Right? That is, I mean, when, when, Paul, when should we not pursue love? He's like, when you're online. No, when you're online too, guys. How we talk about each other especially when we're not there. Pursue love. Build the body up in love. And I know for some of us, this is, it, it, it's, this is going to take some getting used to, this concept of you don't have a one-on-one relationship, but a, a family relationship with God. There's a fundamental reorientation of, of how you lean into this whole thing, of how you relate to God. There's an old um, children's book, there is a series of Francis, you know, the Badger family with Francis, little girl Badger. Yes. Okay. They're really funny books. They're old, but um, there's one called A Baby Sister for Francis, and, and Francis is this funny little Badger girl. Okay. And she has Badger parents, too. It's not like she's a Badger. Anyway. Um, so she has a new baby sister, and, and the, the book opens with their, like, her, her mom is is kind of rocking the baby, her dad's helping out, and, and they're not paying attention to Francis, and Francis starts trying to get attention. She starts singing a song, no one notices. She goes and fills a can with gravel and starts shaking it and marching around, and they're like, please stop, right? And, and then she goes to bed, and when she gets up in the morning, her mom forgot to iron out her blue dress, so she has to wear the yellow one, and her mom didn't have time because of the baby to to go and get more raisins for her oatmeal. So she has to eat bananas. And Francis says, you know what? Things aren't very good around here anymore. No raisins, no blue dress. I'm going to run away. And so she runs away to under the dining room table after dinner. Now, her, the way that she's leaning into her family is, am I getting what I want? She's not even noticing. And that's the moral of the story, of course, is there's a new baby and they all have to pitch in as a family to care for her. But a lot of the time, the way that we lean into the family of God and even our relationship with God is with that consumer mentality. I'm not getting what I want. I'm going to run away. Right? Like that's the main question. Is this place giving me the things that I want? 
Makes a lot of sense if you have a one-on-one relationship with God. But if you have a family relationship with God, the question isn't, what can I get out? But what can I contribute to the family? Right? You see the difference there. Because we have a family relationship with God, we need to build up the family with our contribution. What is our contribution according to Paul here? Well, first of all, it's your spiritual gift. Okay, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts um, in this passage, and, and he talks about them all over the place. Right, like, like Ephesians chapter 4, he lists out all of these things that, that are like you know, apostles, leaders, um, prophets, teachers. And what does he say? He says these are gifts given by the Spirit for the what building up of the body, just like here. This entire section of chapters 12 to 14 in 1 Corinthians, he's addressing, hey, there's more gifts out there than tongues, and everybody's gift is super valuable. Now, some of you may be saying, do I have one of those? I think when the Holy Spirit was handing out gifts, I was absent that day. I guarantee you that you do have one. You just may not realize what it is. You may not have the opportunity to find it yet. But you do have one. Now, uh, some of you may think that your gift is super boring. Almost everybody thinks their own gift is boring. It's like prophecy. That sounds good. People would have to listen to me then. It's like, that's true. But you know what? Service is a gift of the Holy Spirit that we desperately need. Mercy is a gift of the Holy Spirit that we desperately need. Hospitality is listed as a gift of the Holy Spirit that we desperately need. We need all of it. A church is not a healthy church if people are not putting in what the Spirit has gifted them with. I am not discipled if people are sitting there saying, I don't really have anything worth giving to the church. It's not true. We all have something to contribute now, did you just hear me say volunteer till you drop? You did not. All right? Like, we are not in the burn people out business. Some of you, some of you in your vocations have such intense uh, things that you have to do that your contribution to this church needs to be sit down, take a break, so that you can go represent our church in your vocation. Right? So that you could do the work of God and we go with you. Now, Not only does Paul say to to contribute your spiritual gift to build up the family, but also it's whatever builds up. Look at verse 5. He says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophecy. Why? Is prophecy cooler? No, because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Because they're more important? No, because unless someone interprets the tongue so that the church may be built up. So why is prophecy better It's not more impressive. It's not more the Holy Spirit. It builds up the body where tongues builds up only the individual. So contribute whatever builds up. When we come here together, we are a worshiping community. You contribute your praise. Our church is better at being a church when you are here to contribute praise to God with your family. You can contribute encouragement. When anyone who's ever been deliberately encouraged, someone calls you up, hey, just wanted to encourage you. Jesus loves you. Jesus is wild about you. Might be going through something hard. 
but your family loves you and God loves you. Like, has anyone ever been mad at that phone call? I haven't. Right? That builds up. Your presence in community group, your presence at someone's bedside in the hospital, which we have had recently, your friendship to other people. Denver's a very disconnected place where it's hard to make relationships. What a gift to another person that you'll say, I'm not going to be one of those non-committal folk. I'm going to be there for you. We're going to hang and I'm actually going to show. Right? It's not going to be, yeah, let's hang sometime in the future, meaning never, but I'm actually going to be there. That is a contribution. Contributing your prayer. When you go to prayer, keep in mind your church family. Contribute whatever builds up and We're going to grab one verse from a little later in the passage. Paul tells us to hang on to what doesn't build up. Look with me at verse 28. What does Paul instruct them about tongues? He says, if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Why? It doesn't build up. It's not that tongues are bad. It's just that something that only builds you up or fails to build up your family doesn't belong in the family. Hang on to that one. There are things that we need to hang on to that we want to contribute. Demands without volunteering to meet the demand. You know, we should have a weekly prayer service. Great. Are you going to lead it? No. But you should do it. Are you going to come? No. I just think our church should have one. Okay. Right. Hang on to that idea until you've staffed it. Contributing your thoughts as a worship connoisseur. These things are, this is very common. Oh, I liked this song they did, didn't like this. Could we get some shiplap in here? I think that'd be a big improvement. (laughs) Being a worship connoisseur and kind of picking apart what a church does is not a very helpful contribution. So just hang on to that one. Contributing gossip. It's not, a, it's not something that builds up the church. Undermining leadership by talking behind people's backs and starting whispering campaigns. Now, we haven't had this at Grace and Peace. I'm not addressing anybody, but these things are very, very common. People feel free to contribute that which not only doesn't build up, but which tears down. So... We have a family relationship with God. The stronger our family, the stronger our relationship with God. We need to build up the family with love, with our contribution. And Paul is, is very, very concerned in this chapter with how a church communicates. It's going to seem like a little point, but when you think about it, it's, it's really, really key. Because if you use unclear language, you will not build up a body. You will not have the intended effect. There, there's an example of this. Thought of, so during the Vietnam War, the U.S. was allied with, with South Vietnam, right? And during the war, there was a, a coup where the old president was, I think, assassinated or thrown in prison or something like that. And a new guy uh, took over South Vietnam. And, and the, the U.S. government was really worried that the people would not accept, the the people of South Vietnam would kind of like crumble in their resistance to the North because they didn't support this new guy. So Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara went to like this big rally for this new president. 
and the, the new president like gave this big patriotic speech, you know, and, and Robert McNamara got caught up in the moment and he, he runs to the mic and he said, long live Vietnam. Now, in Vietnamese, he said this. Now, some of you might know, Vietnamese is one of the hardest languages for Westerners to learn. And so what he thought he was saying, long live Vietnam, he was actually saying, the little ducky needs a nap. And he didn't say it once, he kept on saying it. Like, the little ducky needs a nap! The little ducky needs a nap! And like, people are falling out, right? So he was trying to encourage them to, to get them to support this new president. And he failed in his intent. His words did not have the intent. Might have been a lot better. Um, you know, they could have used some, some laughs that day, perhaps. But they didn't understand because he used the wrong language. He was not clear. This has been a big issue throughout church history. Did you guys know that there were hundreds and hundreds of years when the Bible was only in the dead language of like classical Latin and people were literally executed for translating the Bible into languages people spoke like English or German. Right, the, the church at that time thought, no, don't, don't put the word of God in people's hands. We need to have it separate from the people. It, you know, there, even, even the way that the, the worship service was conducted was all in Latin until actually really recently, within some of our lifetimes. Now, we may think that we're beyond those things, but for a lot of people, the language used in a church can be just as opaque as Latin, right? And, and somebody says something and, and you don't know what they're talking about because perhaps you don't know the tribal dialect. You know, there's a lot of code spoken in church. A lot of the time, academic language will be used when it doesn't need to be used. A lot of the time, the way the community is structured is sort of with these inner circles, Right? So if you're just an average person out there that doesn't know how to worm your way into inner circles, you can't really get involved in the life of the church. And Paul is especially concerned with that here. Why does he not want them speaking in a tongues free for all? Why does he say don't speak in tongues unless it's translated and, and at the most three people in a service? It's because he wants the church built up with clarity. If you're not being clear about the message of Jesus, people will not be built up. So we have to ask, clear to who? Well, Paul, in verse 5, he says, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who interprets it, than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Who, what's his concern? The entire church. He wants everybody in the church to be able to understand what's being said. Now, remember what we've learned about the church at Corinth. Was it all one class of people? No, you had your nobles, you had your artisans, and you had people who were current and former slaves, many of whom did not read or write. They were not highly educated like the nobles. So Paul wanted everybody, male, female, Jew, Gentile, Corinth was a city with lots and lots of foreign people from all over the empire and elsewhere. And Paul's concern is that, is that the message of Christ 
the message of the gospel be clear to them. That if you're speaking in a way, tongues or otherwise, that they don't understand, then you're failing to build up your family. It needs to be clear to everyone in the church, but also it needs to be clear to those outside the church. Look with me down at verse 23. He says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Right? His concern is that, that, that the message, like it'll first of all be strange, but also that if someone from outside the church comes in and everyone's just talking and whatever, that they will not understand. Okay? We need to be very, very cautious it is so easy to fall into lazy language habits when, when you're a church, okay? You start using, you know, Christianese, as they say, a, a language that is only spoken by certain groups of Christians. So uh, the Bible is the inspired word of God. What does that even mean? Why wouldn't you just say the Bible is God's message to us, right? We're sanctified by grace, is that goblin talk or something? Why wouldn't you say God heals our souls through his love and forgiveness? You, you hear the, the difference? That one is tribal language, one is clear language to whoever hears it. One of my favorites, you ever read these, these old Christian philosophers? The teleological suspension of the ethical. What? What is that? The ends justify the means. That's what he was saying. <laughs> Kierkegaard, you recognize that, right? <laughs> so whatever we're doing, this is really important. This is part of who we want to be as a church. Part of our philosophy of ministry is that everything that is said at Grace and Peace, in teaching or in you know preaching or in music or in community group, is understandable to a third grader that has never been to church. It's very, very easy, especially when you're teaching, to take something complex and make it less clear. The true gift of teaching and communicating is to take something complex and make it simple and clear. And that's what we want to be about. Why? Because we have a family relationship with God. And we need to build up our family with clarity. Okay? So if we have not a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God, but a family relationship with God, we need to build up our family with love, with our contribution, and with clarity. I had a professor in, in seminary who, who told this story. He's a, you know, author, speaker kind of guy. Uh, Pete literally had a PhD in communications. He's really good at talking. And, um, and he went over to do a class in Uganda one time. And he was teaching this class. It was like two, two three sessions a day. Uh, it, was, it was at this one church. And he said his first session went poorly, right? Swing and a miss. And so he, he, he went back to where he was staying and, and came back early for the next session to kind of get himself ready, you know, because the evening session was going to start. But everyone was already there. The entire church, hundreds of hundreds of people were already there. And so he asked somebody, what's going on? Why is everyone here early? He said, oh, we're not here early. We never left. And he's like, well, why didn't anybody leave? It's been hours. He said, well, some of the people in the church didn't understand what you had said. So we all stayed 
until they understood. We have a family relationship with God. We need to build our family. Please pray with me. God, I pray that you would shake us out of how self-centered we are. That our consumer and individual mentality carries over even to the faith. I pray that you would change us to be a people more like Jesus. That we would increasingly be the body of Christ to one another. That we would not say, is this good for me, but is this good for us? In Jesus' name, amen.